turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, we'll begin reading in verse number 29, and we're going to read a little bit into chapter 21 as well. So Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. As always, if you don't have a Bible, and I always encourage you to bring your Bibles, you ought to carry your Bibles to church. You know, it doesn't matter what I say up here. It's completely irrelevant. I am nobody. I am just somebody who is trying to proclaim the, the Word of God to you, and hopefully you're looking at the Word of God and making sure that's exactly what I'm saying and nothing else. So you need to carry your Bibles, not just because we like to see you carry them in here. We do like that, but uh, so you can keep me honest. It's important. Matthew chapter 20, let's start reading in verse number 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful day in the Lord's house that we've already experienced. We thank you for the worship and song and giving and around the Lord's table. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the fellowship we enjoy just in the conversations that we have. But now, Lord, as we gather around your word, would you speak to us? I pray today, Father, you fill me with your spirit, that you help me to say only the things I ought to and say absolutely nothing I shouldn't. I pray, Lord, you'd grant me today uh, something from the Holy Spirit that will be eternal in the lives of these, your people. And I pray you'd just speak to us. Lord, it's Palm Sunday. We've, we've read this story. Most of us who are believers for any length of time have heard messages on this, on this passage every single year on this day. And so I pray today that it's fresh, it's, it's uh, relevant and helpful. And I pray, Lord, as we look at it, maybe in a slightly different way today, that you will just uh, do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, some people in this room, all of us need it, but some definitely need it. And I pray today that you would speak to hearts, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read two separate stories here, one in Matthew chapter 20 and Matthew tw- and one in Matthew 21. 
two separate stories, which I think have an interesting connection. The first story concerns two men who could not see but gained their sight. The second concerns a large multitude who outwardly seemed able to see. They were in reality, though, and perhaps for eternity, blind. Bartimaeus was one of the two men described but not named in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 29, the passage that we just read. Mark in his gospel tells the same story but only concentrates on one person, and he's the one who gives us his name, says that he was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. This man was blind, and yet he could see clearly enough to know who Jesus was. Most in the crowd could see clearly and yet were blind to who Jesus was. Think about it. They shouted, Hosanna. That means save now. But they didn't really believe he could or would save them. They called him the son of David, which was another way of describing the expected Messiah, but they didn't really believe he was the Messiah. They said they believed he came in the name of the Lord, yet they didn't really believe it. Recently, I was going through the drive-thru at McDonald's. I tend to do this far more than I should, I confess. But I was going through the drive-thru at McDonald's, and uh, it was one of those drive throughs that they have now where you have two lanes where you order, and then you merge into one. So I placed my order, and I began to inch my car forward, and there was another car that was inching forward on the other side, and we were in a dead heat. And so we're going like this, and I'm looking at him, and he, he did not look at me at all. His eyes, straight ahead, never acknowledged that I existed anywhere on the face of the earth. He just continued to move forward. And so I slowed and, of course, let him go. But the thought came to my mind, he didn't even look. Have you ever had that experience? I think it's an experience that we probably have seen in in many, many different uh, ways. Approaching a crosswalk, for example, we might watch a person just walk out into the street. I see this at the college where I work where there's crosswalks all over the place, and, and, you know, people are supposed to have the right of way on the crosswalk, but believe me, I'm going to look. But most people, there's some people who just step right out. Uh, I think they perhaps think that if they don't look at the oncoming car, it can't hurt them. They don't even look. Or perhaps more frightening to those of us who ride motorcycles uh, are the people who pull out in front of us in an intersection having never once turned their head in your direction at all. Apparently, if they don't look and see the oncoming car or the oncoming motorcycle, it can't plow into them. They don't, they don't look. They don't even look. They willingly and adamantly look away. They seemingly refuse to consider the danger, and they just plow straight ahead along their chosen path, oblivious to the consequences. I, I think that describes, at least to a certain extent, most of the people who were in attendance on that first Palm Sunday. From their words, we glean that they knew he was there. And they even, I think, had some inkling who he was, but they refused to really look at him and see the implications to their own lives. They just didn't see who he was and what he meant to them. And so at least for some of them, their words, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those words were just empty words. This is a big week. 
In just a few days, we're going to gather and remember the cross on Good Friday. And there we'll talk about the empty cross. And then when we gather this next Lord's Day for uh, the 8.30 and the 10.30 service, we'll rejoice in the fact that there was a tomb, but it was an empty tomb. But on this Palm Sunday, I want us to think about the, this, this other thing that was empty in this week, and that is these words. Their words, empty words. Let us learn from them. They, they, they said three things, didn't they? The first thing they said was Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang. Through pillared court and temple the lovely anthem rang. To Jesus, who had blessed them close folded to his breast, the children sang their praises, the simplest and the best. From all of it they followed, mid an exultant crowd, the victor palm branch waving and chanting clear and loud. The Lord of men and angels rode on in lowly state, nor scorned that little children should on his bidding wait. Hosanna in the highest, that ancient song we sing. For Christ is our Redeemer, the Lord of heaven, our King. Oh, may we ever praise him with heart and life and voice, and in his blissful presence eternally rejoice. Like that one, written by Jeanette Threlfall in 1873. There have been many, many songs written just based on that one word, Hosanna. She mentioned something that always seems to interest me. I'm not quite sure why we always talk about the children waving the stuff. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the multitudes did. But nonetheless, many, many songs are, are sung about Hosanna. But it has this very simple meaning. The word Hosanna simply means save we pray, or save now. And so these people were saying, save now. They were saying, save, we pray, as they waved these palm branches and Jesus rode by. Now think about that. Implicit in that word, implicit in that request, is an understanding that there's a need of being saved. And implicit in that uh, is a belief that he is the one that can save. And implicit in that word is a desire to obtain the salvation that he can give. You see that? Hosanna. Save, we pray. Save. Now, of course, the Bible makes it clear that all of these things were and are true of the man who rode into Jerusalem that day on the back of a donkey. You and I, just like everyone that day, are very much in need of a Savior, and Jesus is. He was and he is the only one. Who can fulfill that need for you? There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All of us need a Savior. Every one of us. All of us are sinners. And the only one who can save, the only one who can answer that request, Hosanna, save now, is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John chapter 5, in verses 11 and 12. And Acts 4.12 says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I wonder how many today are like so many that were in the crowd that day. I wonder how many understand their need. They might even verbally admit their need, but their words are empty, for they never truly cry out for salvation. I wonder how many 
believe he is the one who can save, but yet never turn to him. They keep driving down the road of their life, eyes fixed resolutely ahead, knowing there is danger and need, and yet thinking if they just don't look at it, it'll go away. I think that very thing plays out in our in our churches every time an invitation is given. If you would have the opportunity to stand where I stand and watch and see, you would see some eyes resolutely ahead, hands gripping the back of chairs, sometimes eyes looking down, anything but making eye contact, anything but saying, uh, I need that. I wonder how many more would be saved if the desire for salvation they claimed to have they really had. How many more would be saved if, like Bartimaeus, they shouted out, but it was not empty words. It was from the depths of their heart, desperate words filled with need and assurance that he is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He does come in the name of the Lord, and he is, and he alone is, the one who can save now. You see, these people said these things. They said these things about Jesus, but they were empty words. These people, when they were faced with these truths about Jesus Christ, they stared straight ahead. They refused to deal with the implications to their lives. Well, they said something else, too. They not only said Hosanna, they said he was the son of David. He was the son of David. They knew the prophecies. They knew that the king was coming. The Messiah was coming. There was one who would come and rule as the king of kings and lord of lords. They lived their lives in expectation of the revelation of this person. They had descriptions. They had signs. But when one who fulfilled every single one of those prophecies and demonstrated his identity with every one of those signs stood before them and rode into Jerusalem astride a donkey in direct fulfillment of one of those prophecies, even though they verbally recognized him, it was just empty words. They didn't receive him. You say, how can you say that, preacher? Do you know their motives? How can you possibly say that they didn't really mean it? When they said that, well, I, I think I can say that because we have the example right before it of Bartimaeus. What did Bartimaeus call him? Bartimaeus called him the son of David. And I think implicit in his use of that appellation was trust and belief. It was a turning to him with whole heart and body and mind. He didn't just call him Messiah with empty words. He turned to him as Messiah with his whole being. And I think Bartimaeus is more than just an example of a blind man who was healed of his blindness. I think he's a fantastic picture of what turning to Jesus in saving faith looks like. And so I wonder, I wonder how many listen to the story of Jesus and admit that it's true. In their heart of hearts, they can't deny the validity of the accounts. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was and is the son of David. He was and is the one who will rule forever, not only in our hearts, but on a throne, ruling over this world. They know it, they say it, but they do absolutely nothing about it. And they keep their eyes fixed firmly ahead of them, knowing that he is there, this king, this ruler, this judge, this master of the universe. They keep their eyes pointed straight forward, refusing to look. I wonder, do they think <laughs> that their lack of looking does away with the truth of who he is? Do they think that so long as they don't acknowledge him or look his way, that his warnings will disappear too? Do they think that somehow their refusal to look gets them off the hook? 
They said one other thing. They said he came in the name of the Lord. I think this was maybe the most amazing one of all. They said he came in the name of the Lord. It's an interesting phrase. We say something similar uh, with respect to prayer, don't we? When we pray, we often conclude our prayers by saying that we're praying in the name of Jesus. And I, I always think some people think that's some kind of a magic formula, that when we tag those little magic words on the end of our prayer, they have more power somehow. There's no magic formula there. That's, that's, that's not what that is at all. When I do something in the name of another person, uh, I am doing that thing as a representative of that person or with the authority of that person. I pray in Jesus' name, and in so doing, I approach the throne as his representative and with his authority and with his privilege that I have as a child of his. And so when they shouted that this son of David came in the name of the Lord, think about what they were saying. What they were saying was that he was a representative of and came with the authority of God. Now, I don't know what, what version of the Bible you're holding in your Bible but mo- or in your hand, but most English translations will have the word Lord there in uppercase. And the reason that is there is because the most English translations, when they see the covenant name of God, that's how they will translate it. Lord, uppercase. Jehovah is what it is. That phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, in verse number 9, is a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 6, where the reference was clearly to Jehovah God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah. Now think what they're saying. They were saying that he came as God's representative and with the authority of God. But like everything else they said, they were but empty words. If they had really believed that, would there not have been a different result? If they had really believed, how could they have remained unchanged? How could they have kept their eyes fixed straight ahead, ignoring that, if they believed he came in the name of and with the authority of and as a representative of Jehovah God? How could they just stare straight ahead and ignore the implications to that? How could they not have responded as Bartimaeus did and ran and fell at his feet? Empty words. So I wonder this morning, is there any application to our lives from these thoughts? And I can think of some. I can think of two primary ones, and you probably can too. The first is to those who are in the crowd. Those who are in the crowd nodding and saying the words, waving the palm branches along with the rest of the multitude that have never truly believed or acted upon the words that they are saying. Are you one of those? Are you one who, in that place in your heart where it's just you and God, and we always have one of those, we all have one of those places, it's just us and God, there's nobody that we can hide behind. We cannot hide the truth. We cannot deny the truth. In that place, that honest place, are you one of the ones who knows that you need a Savior? And maybe you're one of those who even knows who that Savior is. And maybe you even know that one day in the future you're, you're going to stand all by yourself. Nobody to stand behind. Nobody to hide behind. All by yourself you're going to face him. Are you one of those who believes and maybe even trembles at the truth that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save now? The only one, and yet you have done nothing about it. 
Are you one who sees and understands Jesus is the son of David? He came and comes in the name of Jehovah. Are you one who says it and sings it? But in your heart, you know your words to be just empty words. Are you one who just looks away, even though you know the truth? Jesus, interestingly, made mention of these very words another time. In Matthew chapter 23, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That, I believe, took place later. Jesus is there mourning over the future of the very city we see him riding into here in this passage. He mourned that they would be judged, the very people who were now saying he was Savior, Messiah, and Lord. He mourned, saying that they had no future until they would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But wait a minute now. I imagine most of you are saying that they just said that. And they did. Just say that. Isn't that exactly what they said on Palm Sunday? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How then could he say they still needed that confession or there would be judgment? He could say it because he knew hearts. And he knew their words were empty. And my friend, he knows your heart as well. You see, just saying and just singing doesn't save anybody. Believing and receiving is what saves. So do you believe the words you say? Do you believe the songs you sing? Have you cried out from the depths of your lost soul as Bartimaeus did? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you believed and received the only one who can save now, who alone is your Messiah and King, the one who comes in the name of Jehovah God with an offer of salvation just for you? You done that? You see, the sad fact is, and this might offend some, I don't know, but I believe it is true. I think the sad fact is many churchgoers are not believers. Their words are empty words. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, Matthew 7, 21. Another time he said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Hearing is not enough. Saying is not enough. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. So my friend, this morning, if you're in that category, will you believe? Will you receive? On this Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ rides into your life with the offer of salvation that he's held out to you before. Will you say yes? As Bartimaeus did, or will you sing and say empty words as you have before and watch as he rides past? Will you stare straight ahead, ignoring the eternal hell toward which you are headed, thinking you might escape if you just don't look that way? There's a second application, of course, and this is quick and I'll be done. 
That's to those who have truly believed and are truly saved. I wonder, do your words reflect a changed life? You see, I think there were some in that crowd that day who did believe. I know there were. Some who did receive. Some whose lives were changed forever because they had so believed in the son of David, the Messiah the, uh, that came in the name of the Lord. Bartimaeus may well have been in that crowd, as the video that we just watched a little while ago indicated, following and praising God with his eyes that could now see. His words and the words of others who were like him weren't empty because they were backed up by a changed life, a committed life. And so I ask in this second application this morning for Christians, does your life line up with your words? I look at this crowd, I, I hear their empty praises, and I'm convicted as a Christian. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted. May my words point people to him. May they be backed up by a life that is so changed. May my life be so full of Jesus that no one would ever think my words are empty words. Yeah, on this Palm Sunday, I think there's application from this passage to every single person here. I know there are some in this room that need to cry out like Bartimaeus, believing and receiving for the first time. Some need to be saved. And we're going to sing an invitation song in just a moment, and when we do, you need to respond like Bartimaeus. You need to run to Jesus and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Get out of your place. Step to the front. Trust him. Believe in him today. And others may have already done that. Others may well be a believer, but you know that empty words fall from your lips, and you know that your life and your words don't always line up. Don't always point others to the one who came in the name of the Lord. If that's the case, you come. Start afresh. Let us all start this day determined. No more empty words.